Hello, and welcome to episode 93 of Just Keep Writing. A podcast for writers. By writers. To keep you writing. I'm Marshall. I'm Nick. I'm Brent. I'm Emily Bergslin. And I'm Cat Weaver. And I'm Will. And as you can hear, we've got some guests with us this week, and we're very excited to chat with them about their book, um, Uncommon Charm. And I'm going to pass it over to Brent here to do a quick little introduction. And um, I can't wait to talk about this. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for being here. Well, thank you. Thanks. Yeah. So um, uh, Kat and Emily are part of the Neon Hemlock novella series that is coming out this year, which I'm a part of as well. So I'm very, very happy to have have my cohorts here. Um, Their book has already come out, which is pretty awesome. And we had the chance to read it. It's an excellent book. Um, I don't want to gush too much because I'll do that with questions. But um, so Emily and Kat, I will let you do a quick little introduction of yourselves to the audience. All right. Well, as I said, I'm Emily Bergslin. I am a bookseller in St. Paul, and I write with... Uh, yeah, and I'm Kat Weaver. Kat, I am a writer and illustrator. I'm also one of the senior fiction editors at Strange Horizons, which is an online um, science fiction, fantasy, speculative fiction uh, short story magazine. And together we did the novella, as you said, Uncommon Charm, which is uh, a historical fantasy or a gothic comedy <laughs> is what we've come up with to describe it. Yeah, that's a great description. I, 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 yeah, gothic comedy. That is actually, yeah. Because I, I, I was definitely going with historical fantasy, but I think I like the gothic comedy. Tag. I have to agree. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's drawing on some pretty particular sources. One of them is, yes, the gothic, but also a lot of other genres. And we'll get well, into that. And that's how we pitched the day, too, as a gothic comedy. <laughs> Nice. Keep it light, bright, and just charming, and the underneath can be all the gooey bits. That's right. Yeah. The charming portion is very, very much there. Yeah, that's... Yeah. yeah. That so, the- um, we have, like, a little standard question we kick it off with. Uh, Nick, you want to drop that? Oh, yes, yes. So, <laughs> in regards to writing this book together, describe... Give us a description, three words, of the writing process of this book. Collaborative. We'll get into that. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, obviously. Uh, Collaborative. um, And building off of that, I would also say uh, improvisational. Yes. Hmm. I mean, okay. Hmm, I guess if we're talking in specific terms of process, uh, we might also say... God, what's like one single word that like encapsulates writing on top of each other? Oh gosh! Uh, <laughs> see, I was thinking something in in terms of gaming. I was going to go oh. with ludic because that's a big oh, part of the process too. I mean, I think improvisational covers that though. Oh yes, I suppose. So I I don't know. To be fair, I'd give you writing on top of each other as the rest of them. We typically give each author three words, so I feel like you filled it out. So yeah, I would love yeah. to hear about those first we ones do, for sure. We do have a tendency to go overboard sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> overboard could be a word too. I like that. <laughs> love it. So so normally what we do is have you guys kind of break down the words. So we'll start with the what was the first one was improv? No. Collaborative. Collaborative. So tell us tell us about that. Um, so we have been writing in this universe since we were wee little things. Um, we are in our thirties now. Mm-hmm. We met when we were preteens on mm-hmm. a, a Red Wall fan forum. That's right. Um, and we've always written together. <laughs> um, so it's like a it's a really long time paracosm, a shared world, and it's changed a lot. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess that's. You know, collaborative is is what it says on the tin. Like we have worked together on this story and associated stories in this world for like I, from from the very beginning. It wasn't one of us who invited the other in. It was both of us at the same time. Mm-hmm. A shared world and mm-hmm. just um, a lot of it, just trading conversation back and forth. Like, mm-hmm. what if this? What if that? Um. And then we went with improvisational, which gets into a lot of the process, too. Yes. (laughs) So 
where improvisation comes in is like uh, we would in person uh, for this story, since of course now we're living together and we're not communicating over the internet. Um, but like we do dialogue over dinner and like okay. read things aloud to each other and like iterate what? on. <laughs> yeah. So iterate scenes together and be like, no, I think, I think this piece of dialogue should go this way instead or just be like, Oh, Hey, can I, can I repeat that line of di- dialogue? I have a, like a better way of phrasing it. Yeah. So just finding the quickest way to the snappiest, mm-hmm. um, I suppose a uh, line of thought for each character. But like, also, I mean, we can just, you know, just bat dialogue back and forth like forever. But what you see in the novella is us, um, Paring it down to make it like actually readable and hold a shape, (laughs) but like the the genesis of it really does come from the two of us. Mm -hmm. And um, wait, hold on, go go. Sorry, um, go ahead, Will. You had something you want to throw out there? Yeah, I had a question about that because I love the scene when the families are all together because each of the characters had this really strong voice individually that I thought was brilliant and was reading that dialogue out to each other, like helpful as far as forming the voice of all the characters. Oh yeah. Completely. Yeah, like I, we, we perform this for each other. <laughs> oh, awesome. I love that. That's amazing. <laughs> I'm reading, I'm reading from a sheet of paper. It's us like doing the voices. <laughs> yes. So much awesome. in, and really, with really bad accents. Like, we do the voices. Yeah, much as you DM ideally would quote unquote do the voices. Yes, we do the voices, and that's also a part of it too. We role played these characters for a while, mm-hmm. um, both with each other and with other people. Wow. Uh, yeah, and we can get more into that later. Oh, for <laughs> sure. So we got to talk about so that. So many follow up questions, <laughs> right? <laughs> let's let's break down the last part. Riding on top of each other was that the last part? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay, so that's another that's another process craft one. Um, that is us having a shared Google document, and yes, literally like writing on top of each other at the same time, or uh, using the suggest function to edit each other's dialogue, or just like going through paragraph by paragraph and just doing like, well, here I want to do this bit now. Space, 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 and just like writing at the same time. Yeah. And then also the structure of it too, mm-hmm. in that she does a lot of the words. She's an extremely talented line editor as well. Um, and I ended up suggesting a lot of the shape of the story. Mm-hmm. Um, so finding the necessary, um, not just the beats, but the arc as a whole. And then like I, I guess I had the quote unquote like final say in terms of voice stuff to make it seem like it cohered that it had like a singular first person narrator. And then to like, just make sure that um, ugh, I don't want to say flowed together. I always, uh, I think flow <laughs> is such, such a vague word, but that's the word I'm coming up with. Like just make sure that it, it cohered and felt like, a single voice, even though there's two of us. One of the things we've been texting about the last couple of days is the voice. Like we're, we, the guys and I, I mean, the voice is insanely good and insanely well done. And so we'll talk more about it. But when you, when you said like trying to get that one singular voice, like you nailed it for sure. And like, it's, it's phenomenal the way it flows. So I know you didn't want to use flow, but I did anyway. The ideal is that when you sit down to read one of these stories, no matter who is telling it, um, but especially in Julia's instance, it's going to feel like you've just sat down with somebody and they've told you the most amazing piece of gossip that you've ever heard in your life. And you forget how long you've been there listening to them it's it's kind of like the, the way Evelyn Woe described Nancy Mitford's novels where they're just like chatter mm-hmm. but <laughs> complimentary <laughs> yeah oh okay so um I guess diving in so now I'm having a little background on this world I'm even more interested to know like what inspired Uncommon Charm because it seems like there's just so much that has already went into this before this book even existed. 
Well, a lot of it is just kind of like a soup of everything that we love. That's it's true, but also as we mentioned before, like this is this is a long time shared universe of ours. Like several of these characters are newer. So several of these characters, like we literally invented when they were teenagers, and they're different characters now. Like many of them just have completely different names too. Um, but we started shaping it into like something that could that we would actually feel okay with being published within the past few years mm-hmm. but i think many of the things that just content wise inspired uncommon charm um are the kinds of things we like to read <laughs> yeah it's very much a love letter to our favorite sorts of literature um a genre or a category i suppose that I would call the um, mid-century middle brow or really just the mid-century feminine middle brow. Which is a real thing. Like if you Google it, like it's very, there's, there's books that are described that way. So like think it's basically authors like um, Nancy Metford, Dodie Smith, uh, Rose McCauley probably Uh fits in there. Um, Dorothy Sayers is a mystery novelist, but like there's many of her, um, I guess themes and characters fit very neatly into what would become the mid-century middle brow. Yeah. And it's um, a slice of time, pretty solidly like interwar mm-hmm. up to fifties or sixties. Mm-hmm. You certainly get middle brow works after that. I mean, that's just a part of uh, it's, it's just a very particular genre from a very particular place and time. Mm-hmm. So and I, yeah, it's, really it's a lot of old, chatty, dead, white British women. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say that. <laughs> uh, sure is. <laughs> but and also just really everything that we love has snuck in there some way. I hate to drag this one out, but Nabokov no. is in there. Nabokov's in there. It's Sorry. secret, but he it's, is. Yeah, I mean, it's not that secret. Um, for for those folks who are like really into Nabokov lore, like the uh, beginning initials of two characters' names are very telling. Mm-hmm. Uh, a and V again for those who have read okay. Nabokov's best slash worst work. Yeah, it's drawing from Ada or Arter, which is an absolute disaster of a novel. A disaster piece. Um, <laughs> essentially, um, about two quote-unquote cousins who they're have cousins. a... They're cousins. They're, they're definitely cousins, cousins who have um, a torrid love affair. Yep. <laughs> oh! <laughs> I cannot recommend this book enough. Cannot. I think it's brilliant. Do not Don't ever read it. Read it. <laughs> yeah, recommended like to not read. Is that what I'm hearing? <laughs> I, love it. I think it's brilliant. It's really <laughs> his most astounding work. Just don't pick it up. <laughs> uh, so okay, so yeah, that, that, I guess that takes me to my next thing because now I feel like the next question. I'm like, how should, should I even ask it? Because so this has just been like years and years and years of work. And um, so was the research even hard for <laughs> Uncommon Charm? Because it seems like it was already all there. <laughs> so, so that's the thing. I mean, to, we, we have done like a lot, a lot of research, like a lot, a lot of research. However, it has been spread out over the past like uh, 10 plus years just of us absorbing the literature we like to read. But I mean, we also have like some very specific reference books that we're drawing Mm -hmm. on. Like a lot of our research was reading uh, first person primary documents, like letters, like there's whole collections of the Mitford sisters letters that are just published for folks to read. And it is fascinating. And then you have like, this whole mythology that they've built up around themselves in their various autobiographies or their fiction that's um, pretty much autobiography anyway. Wait, wait, are are any of you familiar with the Mitford sisters? I feel, okay, so I was an English major Mm -hmm. and I feel like I have encountered that. uh, A lot of this, so a lot of this stuff in this book in in a good way was taking me back to college and the things Mm -hmm. like the text I had to read. So it, the name, the name, I don't, I can't pinpoint exactly, but the name itself is like familiar. 
Same as an, as an English major, same thing. It's like, yeah, yeah. that sounds familiar. I don't, I, I don't know anymore, <laughs> but please tell me. <laughs> um, I actually, I learned about them um, through Joe Walton. Um, the small change trilogy is drawing on um, a few of the different characters are based on the Mitfords. And a couple of them also show up in um, Livy Tidhar's uh, Man Lies Dreaming. Um, but they, I think, I think, they're mostly known by like weirdo Americans obsessed with the UK aristocracy and just like broadly the UK though. Like they are way more like famous noted. Yeah. Famous. Famous, but Um, like way more of a cultural thing over um, in the UK because obviously they are English aristocrats. Yeah. We are kind of teaboos. We say that with great regret um, like who wants to be interested in England? But unfortunately, unfortunately. <laughs> um, but but no. So the Mitford sisters, I basic brief rundown. So they're family of sisters with wildly divergent political beliefs. Yes, mm. quite um, infamously, there are two Nazis. Yep. Um, both of whom probably three Nazis. Uh, probably three Nazis. Yeah. Uh, nobody really knows that much about Pamela, or they just don't talk about her. Um, um, one, just one writer. Probably you might describe her as a champagne socialist. Mm-hmm. That's Nancy. She's the writer of the family. Um, and then there's Jessica Mitford, who is the best one. Is so cool and um, ran away in her teens. Married her second cousin. Uh, went to America. Um, where she eventually became involved in the civil rights movement. Yep. So when her first husband died in World War II, she then married a civil rights lawyer, but she also got involved with the Communist Party in America and then ditched the Communist Party. She wrote, she was like a really fascinating journalist. She wrote a book called The American Way of Death, which is all about like just funeral practices in the United States, a critique that's a fascinating person. My particular favorite work of hers, and I highly recommend you look this up, is her cover of Maxwell's Silver Hammer is performed with Maya Angelou on the tambourine. Mm-hmm. What? Wow. <laughs> yeah. So, yes. okay, I'm hoping our listeners are writing things down because. <laughs> yeah, so it's drawing. So the idea is just there. Here's this family. They have this um, total mythology about themselves and. They've also got like wildly different beliefs and personalities. So we're drawing on that with the Koldunovs, but also Koldunov cousins. So um, the lady and Julia. So that, so I want to say there's also no like direct one-to-one, like this person is based on this person. Oh, it's more okay. just the vibe. Mm-hmm. We do really, we did really want to avoid that um, sort of matchy matchiness. Yeah. Mm. Well, I feel like I have learned so much just by asking this question. Right? I have so much research to go and do. And you almost uh, didn't ask the question. See? Well, because uh, I, I wasn't sure for a second. I was like, well, I feel like this is, isn't even like a worthy question now. But wow. Okay. So, um, all right. So I guess this is a good segue into the next one, though. So with all this knowledge and just all this work that has went into this universe, was it hard to put Uncommon Charm into a novella? Uh, there are lots of stories in this universe, and it helps that there's um, one for every person. Or at least a couple for every person. So our, I think not necessarily the original genesis of this story or this series of stories, but I think what we had always sort of vaguely planned to do with it was that there wasn't just one story in this world. And the kinds of stories that we wanted to tell about this world were all very like domestic, very character focused. Like there's no like huge overarching plot. There's things that happen to people that can, can kind of be plot shaped Mm-hmm. Nobody's going to go fight a wizard, and um, I don't know, unless they're boxing Simon or something. Um, there's no giant world-ending stakes except for what happens in, in the world. In, in the world, which which is this, yes, like World War II happens. Uh, right. World War I happened. Happened. <laughs> yeah, it's um, 
it is basically just uh it's not even an alternate history is it's how i think of it not really i mean it mostly it is just like this magnifying glass on various points of these characters lives so for this one i think the novella is a pr- an appropriate length for, for this particular story yeah well good well so this is going to lead to my question is please tell me you have are going to write more in this world. And cause the, as soon as I finished it, I've read it twice. And as soon as I finished it, I was like, I was saying to Brent, I was like, please tell me this is not just the only story. Cause I really want to read more because as someone who has a very large family and the way that you wrote the cousins and everyone and how they play off of each other, I just kept imagining not only like I have five sisters, not just my five sisters, but like all of my cousins in the extended family. And I just felt like, oh, this is like such a rich storytelling and it's all really done really like tightly in this novella. And I just want more. So please tell me there's more. <laughs> it's going to take a while to cook, but there is more and there is more out there already. That's true. So on my website, I have links to a couple published short stories. One's regular short story length. One is technically novel at length. Uh, those are on my website. Very easy to find. CatherineMWeaver.com. Um, com. So, yes. So one of them is about Julia's mom when uh, she was Julia's age. Uh, she's <sighs> a very different person than Julia. Um, oh, wow. <laughs> and the other is about one of Vladimir's other exes. Yes. <laughs> yes. It's about, it's about Sounds his right. ex-friend. <laughs> Um, but yeah, there's there's definitely plenty of stories out there and they're all going to take different forms. Mm-hmm. Like the... Um, what would be ideal if we had the chance to present all of these together is it would be, you know, the mosaic novel. I think they're really cool. I wish it was a form I saw more often. Um, so the, like, we have a little bit of a formalist conceit with this universe and it's a very small one, but what it is, is it's always going to be a first person narrator, the genre can change based on the narrator. Oh, yes. Uh, It is intimately linked to who is telling the story, which is also another reason that this is a novella, because if you got it from Simon's point of view, he would never shut up in his head. (laughs) Oh, wow. Okay. Simon's a trip, yeah. Yeah. If it were Simon, it would be like a (laughs) Daphne du Maurier novel. (laughs) He's the ingenue. Yeah. (laughs) Well, and, and to build off of what Will said, too, you can feel there's... You know, even though you're mentioning all these other cousins and all these other interactions and relationships and stuff, you know, it's, it feels like it's all, it's not too much information. There's a really good balance there um, with this. Was there, and, and I think this goes along with the novella, the, the length of it too. If you're just keeping it focused on the one character, then you don't have to really deal with the other parts. Right. And so I think that's really interesting. So was that, were there parts that you kind of blew up and had to cut out? Or I'm just curious on how much the kind of side stories uh, filtered in a little bit more for, for old Julia there. And the thing well, yeah. about you said about Simon was really intriguing and I want a Simon story. Thank you. Continue. I'm yeah. Sorry. That's probably going to happen next. Um, it's going to be very romantic. That's right. Um, but no. So actually funny thing was we didn't really have to, uh, cut down anything when we were editing. We had to add some stuff, even simply oh, because Julia's voice is so brisk and cheerful and so inclined to like blow past stuff that you go back and read it like a year later and you're just kind of like, I think this needs more context. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, another conceit of like these stories is so I get totally totally peeved when i see um an awards list and they've got like sequels 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 upon Mm. them and it's just like i wish that i didn't have to judge this book both by like its compatriots on the list and also the context of the series that it's in so you should be able to drop into these even though everybody has this incredibly complex family relationship and story, you can drop in at any point and, um, and understand. 
Right. And, and get a complete story. Like, you know, maybe the story has like shadows at the edges and you're just kind of like, oh, I, I wonder if there's more. Like being left wondering by the story is is not a bad thing. It's in, you know, something in fact that we we really want folks to take away from it. But at the same time, like we still want folks to feel like this this is a complete entity in itself. This story is finished. You had a satisfying experience. Yeah, that openness and sometimes even like disappointment is something that I really enjoy reading about. Um, and it happens a lot in Middlebrow <laughs> fiction um, by women from Britain, <laughs> yep. written between the 30s and the 50s. Um, a lot of it just like domestic disappointment. So again, nobody's out there fighting a wizard. They're just having a really hard time at home. Um, and some problems just don't get resolved. Like that's life. And sometimes they show up later in different forms. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Also life. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> all right. So, oh, all right. So that, that definitely answered that question. Um, well, since this was such a successful novella, um, what are some things that you think every writer trying to embark on this process should know going into it? Um, about novellas specifically? Yes, novellas specifically. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Because they are extremely interesting to me. They're one of my favorite lengths to deal with. Like I, it is my blessing and my curse that as a writer, I love and gravitate more, most toward short, long stories or long, <laughs> short stories. <laughs> uh, I feel that way with reading too. Like you look at our shelves and it's just this like little sheaf. <laughs> sheaf. Oh, teeny, 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 tiny books. <laughs> Um, but yeah, sometimes you get exhausted by a novel and sometimes you just can't fit enough in a short story. Yeah. But I think also novellas let you experiment more than novels may necessarily like let you do, especially with like a debut novel where it's just like, you know, it, it, it has run the gamut. It, like it has, it has been liked and selected by multiple people. Versus with novellas, I think you can push a little bit more into the experimental direction or you can float a conceit that like may feel too thin for a novel. Like I'm just thinking if I tried, if we tried to expand Uncommon Charm into a novel, like we, we had toyed with that idea, but we were also just kind of like what. There would have to be like a totally separate narrator, a totally separate plot point for that person to take care of. And I mean, like, I guess that Simon is there, but I kind of like leaving him a mystery. Um, But it's, but you can be a little bit more playful with novellas too, just in terms of voice and experimenting with things and not feel like it overstays its welcome. It was actually tremendously liberating to look at this and think like, ah, an unsolicited novella, publishing doesn't want this. Fuck, I can do whatever I want. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) Like, remind me to kill publishing. My God, I hate publishing. Uh, (laughs) I'm I'm saying this as a bookseller. Emily's in the industry. I, I, I agree with you. <laughs> this this question was selfish. I, I was selfishly asking this question more for me because uh, my novella killed me. And I was like, well, it would be nice to hear what other people think about writing novellas. It's, it's, it's just so interesting to me because a novella, I think, also curbs a lot of my worst tendencies that I had you know, previously encountered when trying to write novels which was on the one hand, like going, oh, so, so very long, far too long. And just like completely just dive bombing, just nose diving any sense of structure whatsoever versus like me having, knowing that I did that and trying to write a next novel and being like, okay, I'm going to keep it quick. I'm going to keep it brief. But then also like, feeling like I was stretching out something that was too thin to be an 80,000 word novel, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's just yeah, like yeah. finding things that hit and that, so a con- Uncommon Charm is about 25,000 words. So finding things that just like hit in that 
at, I don't know, like 8,000 to 40,000 word range is just so good. And there's, you know, there's thousands of words difference between those, but it also gives you a lot of room to play with how long you want a novella to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I was just impressed with what y'all managed to do within that 25,000 because I was struggling. I, my, I mean, mine, I think, ended up in the 30,000 something range. And I was just like, oh, God, this, I don't know if this even works. So I, I, this was a selfish question. I was just asking more for, my, <laughs> for myself than anyone else. We'll give you that, Brent. No worries, man. Yeah, yeah. Let me have my selfish <laughs> question. <laughs> this, was not, this was not a total act of leisure. Um, there were definitely there were definitely some big changes. Oh, yeah. Like Simon made some huge changes. Simon's like, um, I suppose motivations and arc changed pretty significantly. It yep. took a couple years for like uh the sense of what was magical to him to kind of cohere. And we also did some pretty big structural changes. I think actually one of the biggest helps for structure came from our friend uh, Emma, who when reading a certain part of it, like they, they, a light bulb went on in my head when they were just kind of like, this seems like it's, almost like a murder mystery reveal. And I was just kind of like, you have, you have unlocked something. <laughs> scene is a murder mystery reveal. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. And now you have the, the, I suppose, pace for the rest of the story. Exactly. I was just kind of like, oh yes. Little itty bitty murder mystery. That's not a murder mystery. We can do this. Mm-hmm. Um, Oh God, I was gonna I'm just gonna throw in a shout out for uh the absolutely tremendous book, uh Miss Pim Disposes. Oh my god, it's such a good book. <laughs> um definitely an influence on this one. Um so Josephine Tay. Josephine Tay and then uh Dorothy Sayers Gaudy Night is another like mm, it's okay. It's not a murder mystery because there's no murders, but it's like structured like a murder mystery, and it is one of my favorite books ever. It's yeah. so good. So many wrecks. I hope I'm gonna have to go back and listen because yeah, people I, better be writing it down. I'm, yeah, I'm gonna have to go back and write it down. If you want me to just like I don't know, uh, just <laughs> deliver you a monologue list, I will do it. <laughs> I mean, that might be helpful. We could throw it in a little show notes so people can just <laughs> grab stuff that way. Hell yeah! Yeah, so I mean, that would be some All of them. Right, so, like you're reading it and you're just like, what the fuck does this have to do? Right? With that? but it's there for us but that's the best thing to think about like writing and just putting what you love in there is that you know it's for you and and if people can't figure out how that that element ended up in the recipe well that's not the point as long as they enjoy the meal yeah Mm -hmm. so speaking of one part of the recipe of this meal that I think we talked about previously but we can finally get into more now is the voice of this novella was just like I, 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 I'm not even exaggerating. If anyone was to ever come to me and be like, "Well, what does voice mean?" That seems so vague. I don't really understand. I'm like, well, just read this, and you'll get you'll understand the concept afterwards. So, um, yeah. Why do you think it was so successful? Like, what, what do you think that like you know, put into it that made the voice so successful? That's. I mean, well, first of all, thank you for saying it's successful. That makes me very oh, happy. Hugely, hugely Definitely. successful. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the the voice, it is we are we are working in pastiche. Like it is pretty directly and explicitly a pastiche of the kinds of voices that you find in the novels of the era. I mean, Julia is her own character, but like the the voice is really deliberately evoking um, the voice you'd get in Nancy Mitford's like Love in a Cold Climate or The Pursuit of Love or um, Dodie Smith's I Capture the Castle. Dodie Smith, another huge influence. I Capture the Castle, huge influence. So, so that was one part of it where it's just like we we have these models, but we've also been reading them for years and years. Like it wasn't like we went and read a whole bunch of these over the course of a couple of months as research. Like we have like 
soaked in them <laughs> enough that like we can just conjure these voices. Like it feels like a natural writing voice at this point. Yeah, it's a really easy dialect to slip into. Another thing I'm really proud of, by the way, and this is almost incidental. Oh man, this is you the remember the thing to be proud of. You remember the uh, grand old tradition of Brit picking? Um, where you'd send your like fic off to a Brit and then they would. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Uh, <laughs> one correction. <laughs> really? <laughs> That's impressive. Yeah. I felt so triumphant. And then I was like, oh, God. <laughs> Why do I know this? <laughs> yeah, it's- no, yeah, but it's cool. It comes out of the story. It just, yeah, all of this knowledge that y'all have been dropping the entire time, it just. I think it just like radiates off of the story. But the thing is, but I think why it's so successful is that like, yes, it's pastiche, but it is also doing a thing as pastiche. Like the, the voice is sort of, I guess, almost lulling you into a sense of what you think the story Mm -hmm. is going to be. So when you do get to the dark parts, you're just kind of like, like the contrast between the voice and certain reveals is just kind of like, oh, wow, mm-hmm. huh? Yeah. Like, it, I hopefully the idea is for it to both like one make it not unbearable to read, but two for <laughs> it to <laughs> two for it to just hit in a way that makes it feel like, oh yes, this particular character is dealing with learning this particular thing. How would somebody whose voice is this like? light chirpy socialite who makes like really dark jokes like what if she has to come face to face with this stuff like she tends to like brush off or like think is funny yeah it's it's also that's very typical of that literature of the era you have this um extremely like sprightly voice covering some really dark stuff like love in a cold climate it's it's pretty gutting. Like there is a, there's a major um, yeah. like sexual abuse and, and then in, in, in love and then in the pursuit of love, like there's a major character death. It's out within two sentences and you're just kind of like, it feels <laughs> like a punch in the stomach. Yeah. Um, and it's just buried in yeah. the middle of a bunch of jokes. That, yeah. Like these narrators are so perceptive. Mm. Um, insofar as it comes to other people, not always about themselves. And that's another part of it too. Mm-hmm. Just seeing what Julia notices and then what she does not want to talk about. What Julia notices, what she pretends not to notice, and what yeah. she actually doesn't notice. Well, and, yeah. and, and that's what I was going to say too. There's moments where, whether it's heavy or not, like, I mean, what I found hilarious about parts of it, there's like some fourth wall nudging going on too. It's like, it's like, Hey, you see this thing? Like, it's like, I'm like, are you talking to me? Like there are moments that I was just, I was cracking up like, and then like little quips at the end of like, I don't know, early on it says his laughter when it finally came warm, my cold little heart. It's like, you just say, I don't know. I was cracking up. I thought the voice was amazing. And I just love the little like moments of like nudging me and like, see, see what I'm seeing. And I'm not talking about this stuff, by the way, but it's still, but but you're still following me, and I thought that was yeah. legit. Yeah, also. there's there's this part in um, the anime Revolutionary Girl Utena, the Black Rose arc, and I know it's drawing on a particular Japanese movie. I can't recall, but this like white cartoon hand repeatedly shows up on screen and like starts pointing to significant elements. Um, you know, and that's Julia. Just like yeah, look it was, at yeah. this thing. <laughs> Or Julia, like, drawing attention to stuff she doesn't want to talk about, like, by just saying outright, I'm not jealous. I don't have a problem with this. Which is a clear indicator. Yes, she does. <laughs> <laughs> that was awesome. Go ahead, Will. You had some. Um, I think speaking of, um, I'm going to read a section of the book, and this is sort of a spoiler for anyone who's listening. So you should go out and buy the right. novella no, they should and read, read it. it. Yes. Um, (laughs) So I want to read this section because I think this is about 
capturing the voice of when she's really lighthearted. And then when it starts to go like a little darker, she realizes something. If I'd been at school, I wouldn't have to ponder any of this step, step. I wouldn't have to see Uncle V's charm from this new, ugly angle. I wouldn't have to reinterpret the times he complimented me or given me a present or hugged his children. Lunge. I wouldn't have to carry this knowledge like a boa constrictor lumping around with a dead mouse in its gut. Digest already, I thought. Let me be lazy little jewels, nothing but bubbles in her brain. Take this sword out of my hand. My palm was sweating in its glove. I, I thought just, it was going to be that part. <laughs> yeah. I just think it's, you did such a great way because it still feels so much like Jules, but it's Jules like having to be like, uh, fuck, like I, this is, I can't look away now. And how am I going to be the same uh, person that I was? And how can I look at this person? Like, how am I going to manage that? And I thought that was just like, excellent writing. And I just really think like, you do so much and it's so tight. And I think it's, this is just something that any writer can read and really learn from about how you don't need to be overly verbose, but you can really channel a character's voice and make such a powerful impact. Mm-hmm. It's it's also hopping on a little like hobby horse of mine is that frequently when you encounter a problem in real life, look, you don't know what to do. You can't resolve everything that comes your way, even if it's like an injustice that's happening to somebody you know directly. So, And it's just like, yeah, yeah. What is a 16-year-old supposed to do in this situation? Like, she's And she's realizing that like, what do I do? But then also like, again, just, you know, speaking of the voice stuff, I think when you know, having had all these like light, funny little metaphors throughout the book, like including some light, funny little metaphors here is just kind of like, Ooh, ouch, is that what she was hiding? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But then it was, and I, I texted this to Brent uh, like a couple days ago, then it was this final paragraph. And if I get the, if I butcher the names, just correct me. Cause I probably will. Um, the Koldenovs were supposed to be the happy family. They had to be doting parents exquisite children, the lively household. There was no space. There was space for me. There would always be space for Alachekov. Did I say that name right? How do you say it? Alachekov. Alachekov. Okay. I'm going to practice that. Little girl. Um, Only I no longer wanted to fit. Mm -hmm. And I just got chills at that because it's really like, wow like it's like she's like slamming her hand down and being like nope i don't even want to be here but i love these people at the same time yeah yep uh yeah they no. i remember um will text me that and i was just i was like yeah that's that's a hell of a way to end the chapter she's yep. like slapping the face yeah, I, I I wanted to bring up something that um I believe uh, it came up in um a Slack group that we're in, but um Wrinkle of Time was brought up as like something in terms of tone and and mm-hmm. uh, when once I saw that I was like yes yes that's that's what this <laughs> this is what that puts me in the mind of and you know you have this very this very young like rambunctious voice but they're dealing with these very very heavy things and like and the voice still doesn't falter throughout the process so i yeah i, I was immediately like yes like yeah, this is exactly yeah it's uh so it, it is like i wouldn't call uncommon charm a ya yeah novel in the no. sense of that ya is today i would call yes, it a ya exactly novel <laughs> um by the terms of like the 80s and earlier right. that mm-hmm. that space where it's like we call it young adult today but this is before the determined market young adult existed so it's it's what we were reading as YA, because we are ever so, we are like on the cusp of YA having been a thing when we were of the age to be reading it. So like a lot of Diana Wynne yeah. Jones in yep. our past and... Yep, Diana Wynne Jones, Madeleine Langle, Dodie Smith. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Lloyd Alexander. Oh, God, Lloyd Alexander. Oh, uh, yeah. Right. Oh, for sure. 
So that feels like a bit of a okay. So craft wise, like that feels like that probably was definitely, uh, um, oh, I don't know, maybe a hard thing to really like encapsulate and stay on focus with. So I guess my uh, my next question is, um, in terms of like craft, like what was the hardest thing to nail, and like what what came easy? So I'll give you both. Ends of oh. it. Well, the easy is always going to be a uh, dialogue and character work. Yeah, it's extremely <laughs> easy. We just do it like almost as naturally as breathing. We're bouncing off of each other in G-chat when we're at work. We're doing this when we're at dinner. So that's never going to be an issue. Well, and also, as we mentioned briefly earlier, but yes, we do play uh, high fantasy versions of Simon and Julia in our D&D campaign that's been running since 2017. It's 2022 now. So uh, <laughs> we're starting to get to the end of the book. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but like, but we, we have practice like doing the voices and stuff. So I think what was maybe a little more difficult, um, you have it. What do you think was more difficult? Hmm. You're going to have to give me a sec. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I think, I think maybe structure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's easy to know the broad shape of the story, but it was tough sometimes to um, sort of let yourself exist in that space of this can be left open a little bit. This can be unsettled. Um, or even just like, iterating several times on a scene that you know needs to be there. Mm -hmm. Like, I think we must have written the ballroom scene uh, three or four times. Yeah, yeah. Simon's, yeah. Um, like, little oblique coming out to Julia in that section definitely was rewritten several times. And also, like... The whole thing was rewritten several times. Yeah. The structure of it... His changed massively. His conflict, which is happening off screen, like Julia is privy to some of it, but not all. His conflict changed quite a mm -hmm. bit. Um, we had to go back and add things to like make later things hit better. Um, the ending scene stayed the same, but we had to add a scene before the ending scene to make it land better. It's so it's just like that minute like structural refining. I think was really difficult mm -hmm. because when you are dealing with something that doesn't have a plot per se, the emotional stuff like really has to land. Yeah. And, and also like right. teasing out of that, some characters that didn't exist before mm -hmm. um, Simon's mother didn't. <laughs> yep. She was not in it and she, kind she was of, written for this novella and she, yeah. she needed to be in there more. Yeah. And so that having another adult mm -hmm. that, um, Ali is kind of doing this in cahoots with. Hey, look at this person who has a different way of living. <laughs> um, Do, doing the mom conspiracy thing. God, so funny. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> just, just figuring out, uh, refining mm -hmm. and distilling things. Um, yeah, we, and making sure it works on multiple levels. Yes, mm -hmm. we we take our time. That is how. I like it. Um, I'm uh, uh, back on my hatred of publishing. I am so glad that we don't have like a contract That's and right. that we're writing. We're not writing for big five because I've yeah. seen it as to people and I do not want to do that. Like so much. Yeah. It can be so, so crushing from what mm -hmm. I mean, from what I've, you know, talked to friends and seen their struggles and it's like they get no, there's no time to really like refine the meal, get the, you know, being the, you don't get much chance to be in the kitchen. You're expected yeah. to basically go into the refrigerator and pull out a five course meal and yeah. do it I and make it work. So much time to percolate. Yeah. And we're yeah, like, yeah. that something in some way to the schedule of publishing behind the like, scenes. We like, know, <laughs> we know what's happening um, when, and of course, like on the reader's end, it's just like, Oh, I heard that this book was coming out and then this book appeared. Um, I just, I, I appreciate the chance to take time mm -hmm. on things. And I'm really happy that I feel satisfied with the form that this came in. I was like really anxious when we got edits 
about, well, this is my last chance to change anything. And then I looked at it, I was like, do I really want to change anything? Not that much. Yeah. Okay. But that's also yeah. having, having, you know, toyed with this for forever mm-hmm. and gotten used to the way it was and having, being able to step back and right. come back after a significant amount of time has passed and be like, oh, this has fixed itself in my head now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the, the crucial, you know, I'm standing in the shower with a cold beer moment only sort of dilated over a period of time. <laughs> I'm waiting yeah. for the video to hit you. And I think that's what made Dave, like, just in general, so great mm-hmm. to work with. Is like he was just really open to letting you create whatever you needed to create. And oh, my God. I appreciate him so much. I think it is miraculous and just incredible the direction that he allows authors to have on their own works. That is just it's unique in publishing that you get that kind of say and you get that yeah. kind of input down to like the cover. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's this, you know, <laughs> that like artists and authors, we know authors just don't get a lot of say in that. So it was no. really amazing to be able to like ask for Marlo and then yeah. get Marlo and then be able to talk to Marlo yeah. about like, well, here's yeah. all this stuff. It's so fun. <laughs> yeah. I think I sent my artist like a 20 page document thinking like, oh, God, I'm going overboard. But they were totally with it. And, you know, it's just I think, yeah, to have Dave, Dave, I'm trying to cherish this experience because if any, I don't think I'll be able to replicate it anywhere else. But Mm -hmm. no, it it was it. This this universe and this little book means a lot to us. And it has just been so nice working with Dave and with a publisher that like really, really got what we were doing. Yeah. Like I've seen the bad side of small publishers and independent publishers. And it's just like Dave is out there being a beacon for everybody. Like this is how it could be. This is why independent publishing is so important that you can Mm -hmm. have this kind of like direct input that you can have the ability to present something that's not just like really easy to slot into marketing categories and to like feel the clockwork on um it's we need more of them we need so many more days so many more so (laughs) Um, many you might need more days because my god that man does so much Uh, his schedule (laughs) his schedule It's it's like he's he's what fifteen different jobs in one, pretty much. Oh man, yeah. Oh, uh, will you you had something? Yeah, I just think you know, keeping in mind that you know this is Pride Month, um, and you went chose like Neon Hemlock. Um, I want to just talk about like the importance of having queer people in your stories and just you know in the um, forefront of media. Yeah, I was, yeah. Well, yeah, I was going to say. So, yes, in case it was not clear already, we did not mention uh, Simon is Simon is gay. gay. That has been something apparently a few people have missed, which actually I'm okay, okay. with that. Like he does not say it directly because he doesn't have the exact words, right? And uh, the time period is rough. Yeah, the time period. And then he would also have the difficulty of like balancing like, okay, do I want to lose this community that I already have and very much love? Um, Like I have my mother's support as such, but I saw what happened to her. Um, But yeah, it was it was important to us to have. um, I mean, it's obviously it's important to us to have queer characters, but also this kind of story where it is just about their friendship mm-hmm. and their togetherness. Yeah. They're being able to just exist as themselves yes. with yes. each other. Mm-hmm. Yes. And Julia is also queer of some variety. She would call herself a lesbian and we would also call her lesbian, even though I, it's the 1920s uh, categories then do not like necessarily map onto yeah. what we might think of as now. They're both gay. It's whatever. Yeah. There's a lot of like um, weird differences in, okay, this is a thing that I am doing versus this is a thing that I am. Um, And then you have Simon's mother who Mm -hmm. is the most out of anyone. Absolutely. An out butch lesbian in the 1920s 
East End London. So g- good luck, ma'am. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Just making it work. Yeah. And then, you know, various other characters, like you have Julia's mother, who's also queer, but like coming to that more later in life. Right. Mm-hmm. And you yeah, have I- Julia's horrible gay cousin. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, we all know one of them. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> I just, you know, I think that was kind of the the beauty of the story as well, that it's just, they were queer and it was, it was like not the central focus of the um, book, but it also was layered in really beautifully. And we just need more stories where, you know, uh, we're going to go on an adventure, we're going to have magic and, you know, we're just also queer. I think that Mm -hmm. there's a lot of beauty in that. There's this um, thing that makes me really amused, that which is that it's ended up on a couple shelves on Goodreads. I think that people haven't read it yet for um, romance, and I'm just like, oh. <laughs> and then I was like, wait, well, actually, I think it might be pretty romantic. Mm-hmm. It's just it's fun romantic. Yes. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. So before we wrap up, we always have one last question that yeah. we ask. So uh, Nick. <laughs> I will let you have it. Oh, wait, you wait, got some more? Be- before the before the last last question. All right, all right. Um, because uh Brent mentioned earlier, we do put the show notes together and we try to put links to authors' websites and social media and stuff like that. So um now is your moment. Um if you could throw out there just one more time where the best place folks can um, you know, jump on your website, find more of this universe. Um, or social media, anything you want to throw out there is totally fine. And I'll make sure that it gets into the show notes. Oh yeah, sure. So, I mean, I think easiest place to reach us is probably Twitter. I am at a note in pink. I am Udaya Maniacal and I am going to have to spell that. So just a moment here. E-U-D-A-E-M-A-N-I-C. A L. Nope. You missed an I. Oh my God. <laughs> it's E U D A E M A N I A C A L. There we go. Okay. <laughs> Both eudaimonia and maniacal. You can also find Kat at her website, as she's mentioned. Yeah, and it's it's linked in my like website part of Twitter. It's Katherinemweaver.com, which is K-A-T-H-R-Y-N-M Weaver at dot com. And um, I would also really appreciate it if anybody buys this book that they buy it directly from Neon Hemlock or from an independent bookstore because I do work at one of those. And if you would like a signed copy, you can buy it from nextchapterbooksellers.com or Majors and Quinn, M-A-G-E-R-S-A-N-D-Q-U-I-N-N. And I got to say how much I appreciate you spelling the things because when I, when I listen back later and I add to the show notes, it makes it so much easier. So thank you both so much. For me. Look, I talk on the phone a lot at my job. I do like riveting podcasting, but. Because sometimes I like, I'll listen back as I'm editing and I'll have to keep backing up and be like, wait, what did they say? So anyway, that was amazing. So thank you. And I am going to pass it to Nick for our very last question. I always mess this question. This is the best part. I mess this question up every time because I always forget how to say it. <laughs> but one, I want to thank you all for being here and sharing your guys' story. I love so much about this. And your first chapter, like, I've read four times now. Because yes. it's, what, it's what got me hooked in. And there's a very awkward moment in there on the third page. And I'm just like, oh, I needed this. Okay. Um, but for a final question get things going here. What keeps you writing? Oh, God. I know what it is. Mm-hmm. It's telling stories for our friends. Telling stories for our friends. There is a very particular group of people that we love dearly. And but it's also just friends in general. Like, that's what keeps me writing. It's telling stories for my friends. Yeah, it's that <laughs> sense it. of sitting down and being like, oh, man, have you heard what this guy did? I need to tell you. <laughs> Uh, that's a great answer. I that love a, it. That's amazing. So thank you both again for being on the show. We appreciate you so much. All of your info will be in the show notes. And um, hopefully we can see more of, I want to see more of Simon. I'm just going to say that. So I you know, think see that an unboxing at the end. I was like, okay, I want more of this. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, it, it's probably going to happen. He's, he's important. <laughs> yes. Can't wait. Thank you again. Appreciate it.
Thank you. Thank you for coming on. Appreciate it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And this has been Just Keep Writing, a podcast for writers, by writers, to keep you writing. You can find us at justkeepwriting.org. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Feel free to reach out to any of us on our social medias, and please jump in our Just Keep Writing Discord channel. Links to all of that is in the show notes. Lastly, please support our show by going to patreon.com slash justkeepwriting. We offer daily writing prompts, early access to podcast episodes, and much more. Thanks for listening, and just keep writing. (laughs) 